Hello, you're listening to Learning Capacity with Colin Klupik. This podcast is brought to you by LearnFast. To find out more about LearnFast, visit learnfasthome.com.au. And remember, you can send us your feedback. Send your emails to feedback at learnfastgroup.com.au. Oppositional Defiant Disorder, or ODD, can be a very traumatic thing to deal with. The literature states that defiant behaviours need to be consistent and obvious for about six months, which can seem like a long time before decisions get made to do something about it. Dr Shan Ong is a developmental paediatrician with deep experience in this field. In this discussion, I ask Dr Ong what it means for parents to take the first steps in handling the situation and what they can expect. It's a mixture of experiences and emotions, ranging from relief to denial as parents come to terms with the long road ahead. We also talk about the role of the school and how that fits in with the strategies at home and the working relationship with a medical professional. I started by asking Dr. Ong to clarify what defiant behaviours might look like. Uh, those behaviours uh, mainly involve being oppositional, um, i.e. going against um, authority figures. So in, in the family situation, it would be a child going against the wishes of their parents um, and so being um, argumentative. Uh, they would often oppose um, many things that, um, that parents would want them to do. Uh, for, and it could be as simple as um, normal activities of daily living, like brushing your teeth, having a shower, um, getting up and getting dressed for school. Um, it could involve um, doing homework. Um, but it, it should also occur in other situations, um, like at school or in other social environments uh, with other people as well and not just be confined to um, uh, one particular situation. And so when, uh, when the oppositional behavior is um, pervasive across different environments, then we start um, thinking about calling it uh, a disorder um, rather than um, saying, that that child has got just traits or, or features of oppositional behaviour. So throughout the observation period, if I can call it that, I mean, there'd have to be a point where you would start suspecting that something is up. And so you suddenly find yourself in a period where you're observing things more than you have been in the past. I would assume that there would be some common emotions that you would see amongst parents when they realise that something is up and when they realise that they need to address some kind of a problem. Is that assumption correct? I mean, do people start to experience... Uh, a particular anxiety, or are parents worried about this sort of thing? How have you found that they react? I think um, a, a lot of parents, um, by, by the time they come and see me and their child has uh, you know, oppositional behaviour, um, they, they are often um, worried um, and frustrated. Um, they are those parents who are feeling tired and worn out. Uh, worn out because of the the constant fighting and arguments with their child. Um, But often, oppositional defiant disorder more often occurs in conjunction with um, another uh, behavior disorder such as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or ADHD um, uh, or autism spectrum disorder. And it is quite uncommon for ODD to occur on its own. So often parents are having to um, manage those other 
issues um, associated with ADHD or autism as well. So yes, but uh, you know, with with uh, the combination of all those um, behavior difficulties, um, most parents are either worried um, or or they're actually getting worn out. Do you see much denial happening with parents? Um, the, yes, um, there are um, some parents who are in denial. Um, I find that it's usually the fathers uh, who are more commonly in denial than the mothers. And I think that's because uh, the mothers are the ones who tend to spend more time with um, their children. They're the ones who um, are usually in contact with the schools who uh, might be having trouble uh, coping with their, their child's behavior. Um, and um, I think a lot of the fathers, being so busy with their, their work and careers, they they don't see so much of um, their, their children's um, behavior issues. So assuming that parents have arrived at a point where they know that they need to do something and they're willing to take some action, how do you initiate yeah. conversation with them? So where I'm coming from is, what are the pain points that you need to be aware of when you first talk to parents in order to make them feel comfortable? By the time a parent would come to see a developmental pediatrician like me, um, you know, they would have um, uh, gone through a, a process of, um, you know, seriously considering, um, you know, what, whether there is a problem with their child. Um, and um, they would have, um, you know, they would have uh, had to, I guess, discuss, um, you know, these questions amongst themselves before coming to see me. Um, and so when they see me, they're, they're, I, I find it quite easy to get them to speak and explain what their concerns are about the child and, and describe the child's behavior. And in so doing, um, I, in, uh, I find that um, a lot of parents uh, start to uh, feel a little bit more relieved because um, you know they're speaking to someone who actually has an understanding of what they're going through. You know, there are those parents who uh, doubt themselves and and think that perhaps um, their child's behavior issues are due to. Uh, perhaps, um, you know, not very good parenting skills. Um, but um, when they're able to actually sit down, um, you know, get these things off their chest and um, discuss it with me, they often start to feel more at ease. I can imagine, as you were saying before, the parents might be very worn down or exhausted by the constant defiant behaviour at home. And they're probably getting a lot of phone calls from the school, I would imagine, as well. I can see a little bit more now how a parent would actually come to you and, and just be relieved. In fact, in some of the other conversations I've had with other people about some of the other conditions that you were referring to, and I'm thinking about even things like dyslexic problems or learning disability problems in general, there's an enormous amount of relief. So I imagine that's a fairly long road to progress or possibly even an endless road. I mean, this is not the sort of thing that you can fix overnight. How do you communicate the time factor involved? A lot of parents um, are able to um, understand it quite easily because uh, they would have been struggling with their child for quite some time already, um, and they they seem to have that understanding that if if there's going to be um, change and improvement, 
uh, it's gonna uh, it's gonna take some time and um, so I haven't had anyone actually ask me if um, you know for for a short-term remedy um, I do often explain to them that um, you know it, it involves uh, I guess uh, sorry the the management of this uh, involves um, you know, changing the the way they may be speaking to um, their children, changing the the strategies that they use for their children. Uh, it may involve consultations with other professionals, like child psychologists, who may counsel their child, or um, more commonly provide specific behavior management strategies to the parents. Um, I I'd like to get parents to inform and educate themselves about this condition. So I would usually recommend one or two books for them to read. Um, and I and as they gather this information, I I think they start to realize that um, you know there is a process involved um, and therefore time involved in um, getting their children to improve. So practically speaking, you're alluding to a few things that happen there. I'm just wondering, what are the sort of strategies that you might get the parents to work with their children on? And, you know, other questions might arise as well, like, does medication ever come into the equation? Medication sometimes comes into the equation. Um, I would prescribe medication or recommend medication um, if the child also has um, a diagnosis of ADHD. Uh, The thing about ODD is that most children with ODD um, actually have underlying ADHD to begin with. Um, What the literature tells us is that there there are a lot of children with ADHD um, and that sort of becomes more manifest uh, when they're quite young, usually from the age of two. And by the time they're about five or six, um, uh, there's uh, quite a large percentage of them, you know, about 50 to 60 percent, start to develop oppositional behaviors. And, and then some of those children um, develop more extreme oppositional behavior and end up getting a diagnosis of oppositional defined disorder. So... So we tend to understand ODD in terms of um, a a condition that has developed out of um, a pre-existing ADHD. So by treating the ADHD part of that with medication, um, we do find that a lot of children make um, huge or significant improvements with the ADHD behaviors. the ADHD behaviors I'm talking about are the the lack of attention and concentration and restless impulsive behavior. But because those behaviors improve, um, there is a flow-on effect um, on the oppositional and defiant behaviors and they start to improve as well. Um, There is no specific medication that, that directly treats ODD. But uh, we do find that if we treat it underlying ADHD with medication, then the ODD starts to improve. More from my discussion with Dr. Ong coming up. But if you'd like to know more about what ODD actually is and what's going on in the brain at the time, then you might be interested in my discussion with neuroscientist Dr. Martha Burns. And you can find that in the Learning Capacity Archives, episode 23. 
visit soundcloud.com slash learnfast and look for episode 23. Here's a short excerpt. Right now, the neuroscience would suggest, yes, that, um, that when you see those kinds of behaviors, you are seeing overactivity of a part of the brain called the hypothalamus and some lower level regions of the brain like the adrenal gland. So when you and I are under stress, when anyone's under stress, we produce two kinds of hormones. We produce, well, two kinds of chemicals. One of them is adrenaline. Back to our discussion with Dr. Ong. So in simple terms, am I hearing that it's a case of children being able to self-regulate better once the ADHD settles down because of the medication, that they're able to process situations better and deal with personal interactions in a more effective way? Yes, that's right. Those words that you, you said, self-regulate, um, that's all important in, in a child with ADHD and ODD because these children have difficulties self-regulating. They have trouble controlling themselves. So... In the ADHD scenario, you know, um, yes, we call it an attention deficit where they, they have trouble with their attention and concentration skills, but, but that, that involves having trouble with self-control, you know, having trouble controlling themselves to stay focused on tasks that require sustained mental effort and that don't give them pleasure. Because we know that all children with ADHD, even the severe ones, um, will be able to concentrate on a computer game or an iPad game for hours, you know, and and not show any signs of an attention deficit in that uh, particular circumstance. And that's because the the pleasure, the joy they 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 get from those games drive them to continue playing those games. They don't have to control themselves to stay focused on those things. But then give them something that doesn't give them pleasure, like schoolwork, for example, or, or a chore at home. Um, that's when they will then have to control themselves to stay focused on those tasks. Um, but because of the disorder, they can't do that. And that lack of self-control um, also involves um, controlling their emotions. And so these kids, um, you know, have a tendency to get overexcited more easily and have trouble um, settling themselves back down. Or they could get um, anxious more easily or angry more easily and have trouble, um, you know, coming back down to a more neutral level with their, their emotions. And what we see with a lot of kids with ODD is that um, a lot of them have trouble with anger management. You know, they get angry when they're asked to do something they don't feel like doing. And because of that lack of self-control, you see more anger, that, uh, you know, either more extreme anger or getting angry a lot more easily. And so with medication, you help with that self-control. You, you see the, the anger diminishing or settling down. Um, and uh, it certainly does um, have an impact on you know, the, the ODD behaviours. That's a fascinating relationship you make there with the ability to attend to a video game or an iPad game where they show no signs of at all of any ADHD. But then when you ask them to do a simple thing, suddenly the oppositional behaviour kicks in. Is that because when they get asked to do a menial task or yeah. a, a chore or something like that, 
There is nothing triggering in the reward center of the brain. There's nothing interesting about that. So the self-regulation or the, the lack of self-regulation kicks in and says, I don't know how to process that, so I'm just going to oppose it. Yeah, that's right. Some literature that I've come across in the past suggests that a, a three-way connection between the home and a medical practitioner such as yourself and the school is a good way forward. In your opinion, how involved should the school be in the overall treatment of the situation? Well, I think the school should be heavily involved because the school is um, looking after the child for um, you know, a good portion of the day, uh, you know, seven, eight hours um, every day. And um, you know, the school has to cope with um, the same sort of behavior issues at school. A lot of children with ODD uh, can be less oppositional at school, uh, perhaps because the environment is more structured because of the social component. You know, they don't want to, you know, misbehave too much in front of their peers, or because they have um, a bit more um, respect or fear of um, the teachers there. Um, but I find that if the the school can actually work together with the parents in terms of, you know, managing um, the child's behavior, you do end up getting a more successful outcome. We often think primarily of helping the child. And earlier in the conversation, you were talking about encouraging parents to educate themselves on the condition of ODD. But in general, in terms of support for parents, what kinds of support are available for them other than just reading up about the condition? There are parent support groups. Um, I, I don't know if there is a, a specific parent support group for ODD, but there are definitely parent support groups for ADHD uh, and for other conditions like autism spectrum disorders as well. Um, as I said, the, the majority of kids with ODD also have ADHD, so um, a lot of parents should be able to uh, access um, parent support groups with ADHD and the easiest way to find that uh, is to just um, type um, ADHD um, parent support groups uh, into Google. So that's simple and, in that respect? Uh, yeah. Just look one up that happens to be in your area? Yes. Um, and every city in Australia uh, would have um, an ADHD support group. Okay. So assuming that we're well on the path of handling a particular case, this is a fairly large and open-ended question, but what does success look like? That is a very good question. Uh, for a lot of these families, uh, success can actually be small steps. Uh, success could be um, a child successfully remaining at school uh, or a child successfully not being suspended um, for a term or for a whole year even. Um, you know, a, a child success could be a child um, not declining in their school grades academically. Um, success could be parents not separating and divorcing because um, they can't cope with the child's behavior. So it's a multifactorial situation in where there could so, be one or many of those factors kicking in to give some sort of an indication of success. Have you ever seen situations where there is just wholesale success, like it's really worked right across the board? Or is that yeah. the impossible dream? It's, no, no, that's not, that's not impossible. Uh, I've seen a lot of, yes, I've seen a lot of success where, uh, you know, families haven't broken down. Um, the, the, the child's behavior turned around completely. 
um, the, the child's attitude towards school turned around completely, and and the child's grades actually started to improve. Um, it, uh, this change has been brought about by um, being treated with medication, um, as well as um, seeking um, psychological intervention, like counselling for the child um, and the parents. Does the medication come to an end or does it tail off? Or do some people stay on that path for a very, very long time? With medication, um, it, it's usually a long-term um, treatment plan because um, the, the medication does not bring about a cure. It, uh, the medication uh, does help with the behaviours and, and their difficulties, um, but if a child were to stop medication, then the the effects, the benefits um, will will disappear almost Im- immediately. So a lot of these children would need to continue on medication for a few years at least. Um, some of them may continue it um, through their their school years, and but a lot of, of children are able to stop medication by the time they finish high school. So on the whole, just coming back to the idea of success, properly managed, the future can look very bright. Yes, definitely. Assuming that everything aligns correctly and that everyone is on board and things work well. I think what, what is key is um, everyone being on board. The difficulties that I actually come across is, is when both parents are not on board. Um, I think it's, it's terribly important that both mum and dad are on board and are on the same page with the child, uh, you know, with, with what's happening with the child. Often the schools are on board because the schools, you know, are, are struggling with, with these children. And so they, um, you know, they're the ones who often initiate, um, you know, the, the, the process to, to coming to see a, a doctor like myself or, or to, or, you know, or, for the parents to seek help, um, but what I find, um, yeah, when when um, a situation does not succeed, it's it's often because um, both parents are not on the same page. Um, I find that um, fathers play a, a very big role in um, these children's lives, that they don't quite realize how how powerful their role can be i mean the the the, the traditional model of parenting is that um you know mums are the ones who nurture and bring up the kids and and therefore do the bulk of the parenting and dads are the ones who who go out into the workforce you know to to support the family financially um but i find the longer i i do this kind of work i find um more and more that um, fathers, uh, if they were to get more involved in their children's lives, they they make a huge difference by just being there, just by being present. They can start to make a difference. Dr. Ong, that's very insightful. Thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. You've been listening to Learning Capacity, brought to you by LearnFast. If you'd like to know more about LearnFast or the Fast for Word programs or the CogMed Working Memory programs, then visit learnfasthome.com.au. And remember, we love to hear your feedback. You can send your emails to feedback at learnfastgroup.com.au. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now.